Well, I'm excited to share with you this morning in the last of this series called More, How Much More? It's the series we've been doing the last four weeks. Uh, Pastor Lynn will be here next Sunday. He'll be excited to preach to you guys, I know, because he hadn't preached in a few weeks. And uh, we're beginning a new series next week, which he's going to sh- tell you about a little bit at the end of the service today. But uh, man, I'm excited to share with you this last of these this, uh, messages of this series called How Much More? And in this series, we've talked about how the Lord has used this phrase all through the Bible, but particularly in the New Testament, to express different things about his character, to tell us very clearly what he's like. And so week one, we talked about how the comparison was there to a, a parent, how a parent gives good things to their kids. Jesus said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask him? Talking about the heart of God. Then this next week, we talked about how uh, Jesus talked about how God values sparrows and ravens and wildflowers, things that really have very little value. But he says, if God values them, how much more valuable are you than many sparrows, than many uh, ravens or flowers or whatever else? And so he's talking about the love of God, the fact that God values each one of us supremely and knows each one of us intimately. And then last week, we talked about the grace of God, the way that love acts. What does love actually do? We talked about the grace of God and and Paul talks about in Romans this idea that uh, it's, it's conceivable that someone would lay down their life for someone who's a good person. But before Jesus, it was an inconceivable idea that anyone would lay down their life for an enemy, for someone that had hurt them and offended them. But that's what Jesus did. So how much more, how much more does God care about you because he shows his grace to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? And this morning, as I said a second ago, we're going to talk about peace. So we sing a song like it is well with my soul because that song is about peace. If you know that story, and if you, I'm not going to tell it this morning, but you ought to look it up, the story of the, 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 what, the, what happened behind that song and the guy that wrote that song. It's an amazing story of all that he had been through. He didn't have an easy life. A lot of bad things had happened in his life, and he was still able to say, it's well with my soul because I have peace with God. And the same thing can be said of us if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. It doesn't mean that things are always rosy in our life, that we don't have any struggles in our life, that things are always peaceful in our lives. But we can know the peace of God, which helps us be able to transcend all those kind of things. Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace in the Bible. You remember when the angels came to the shepherds at Christmas and their message to them was peace on earth, goodwill to men. Paul said this, he said, that the peace of God through prayer in Philippians 4, which surpasses understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is all throughout the scripture. So let me just ask you a simple question this morning. Are you at peace with God this morning? Those of you that are watching online this morning, are you at peace with God right where you're sitting this morning, whatever you're doing? It's an important question and one that I hope we can answer. See, sometimes we think of peace as the absence of turmoil, of fear, of guilt, of dread. And those things are all true. But peace is really quietness in your soul. It's when your soul is at rest. Are you there this morning? A few months ago, I had a conversation with a lady over here in the South Foyer. She uh, had attended our church and uh, wanted to talk. Called my office and said, can we get together and talk? I really don't know anything about Christianity and I'd like to have some questions and stuff. And so we met on a Wednesday night and we visited and she told her story about growing up in a family where they never, parents never talked to her about church. They never talked to her about God or any big beliefs about anything outside themselves, never went to church. She said, I went to a youth group a couple of times when I was in high school, but that was about it. But I've just lived all over the country and, I, and I've 
experienced and witnessed other people's beliefs, but I have none of my own. And so I listened to her for about an hour, and I was trying to help her understand the gospel, the good news that, that Jesus Christ came and died to make every one of us, including her, right with God. You ever share with somebody and you just get, you just understand that they don't get it? They're just totally, it's a totally new idea. That was this lady. And I felt for her, and, and as the more she talked and I listened, she got a big tear in her eye, and she, she kind of wiped her tear away, and she said, I just want peace. I just want to know peace. And I said, well, I have really great news for you. That's exactly what God wants for you as well. That's what the sermon's all about this morning. God wants every one of us to know his peace, peace with him, first and foremost. He wants us to experience that peace. Listen to this definition. The peace of God is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot, whatever that is. Isn't that, isn't that great? The peace of God is the tranquil state of the soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God. God's heart, his love, his grace reassure us that he wants peace for us. He wants to be at peace with us. And that's what we're going to understand this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And uh, as you get there, stand with me out of reverence for God and his word. And I'll read aloud, beginning in verse 11. And we'll read through verse 14. If you have a copy of God's word, you can follow along there on the screens this morning. This is what it says in Hebrews 9, verse 11. But the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purpose or the sanctify for purification of the flesh, how much more, there's that phrase, how much more will the blood of the Messiah who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? Thank you. You can be seated this morning. See, God wants us to have peace with him. Peace that does something in our life. First of all, a peace that produces a cleansed conscience for the past. Every single one of us have a past. You may know someone in your life who's running from their past. Maybe you know someone who's an addict of some kind. They may be addicted to all different kinds of stuff, but sometimes people use alcohol and drugs, pornography, even control in their life to sort of numb the pain of the past, to try to run away and escape the guilt they feel from their past. Every single one of us have a past. It's an interesting thought to think about the fact that Jesus died for you before you even had a past. <laughs> he died to take care of your past before you even had one, but every one of us have one. Every one of us have things in our past that we feel guilty for. The Bible talks about here that we have a conscience, a, a cleanse. We can have a cleansed conscience. What is a conscience? Well, it's an inner voice. It's a, an inner knowledge, an awareness that things aren't right necessarily. And it's what makes us, it's what God made us in his image like is, is to have this sense of self-judging to know when things are wrong. If you ask anybody on any continent in the United States or wherever around the world, you ask them this question, have you ever sinned? Most people, well, in fact, every person I've ever asked that question of has said yes. Even if they don't believe in Jesus, even if they don't believe in the Bible, that simple question, have you ever sinned? Yeah. So all of us know when we do something we shouldn't do, we act selfishly or we do something that we know is outright wrong, there's an inner voice inside of us that bears witness against us, accuses us and says, you're guilty. 
And so for a lot of people who have a past, they have a guilty conscience and they try to do things to drown that out and medicate that in some cases to fix it, but there's really no way to fix it outside of Jesus Christ. You can't clear your conscience. You can't cleanse your own conscience by any method. The only way is through Jesus Christ. So, so the only way to understand how to have a cleansed conscience, he says, is through the blood of Jesus Christ. We talked about propitiation last week, the idea that Jesus' blood completely satisfies the wrath of God for you so that you can be saved. You can be protected from the wrath of God. You don't have to worry about that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And that's where peace comes from, is being made right with God. So alcohol and drugs and all those things that people use, and sometimes we look down our nose at people who struggle with those things because we see the destructive nature of them in their lives, but oftentimes they're just medicating. They're taking something to cause that to go away temporarily, and that's all it is is a temporary answer. God can permanently remove a guilty conscience from you through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, for me, I remember before I met the Lord, one of the things, and I, I was thinking about that this week as I put this message together, because I don't often think about it that much. It was a long time ago, 40 years ago in my life that I received Christ. I was a teenager. And one of the things that was happening in my life at the time, right, that led right up to my salvation was I was experiencing insomnia in my life. I didn't use drugs or alcohol. So one of the things that, that the sin in my life, the way it manifested itself in my life is I couldn't sleep at night. I'd lay down, I'd be dog tired, I'd just lay there wide awake. I was worried, I was anxious in my soul because I knew that I was doing things that were not pleasing to the Lord, things that I was eventually gonna get in trouble for and get caught doing and the consequences were gonna follow. And I lived with that sense of fear and dread. Maybe you can relate to that this morning. Whether a man catches you or another human being catches you doing something, the, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit is prompting you through that sense of guilt that you feel, but he wants to cleanse you from that so that your past no longer becomes a hindrance to your relationship to him. The word that's used here for cleansing is the word katharos. It's the word we get catharsis from. It means to cleanse of all immoral purity. Uh, moral impurity, to cleanse all of it away, to purge it away, to make us right with God. This is what Paul said about himself in terms of thinking about his past, because he had a past. This is what he said. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. Case closed. Don't want to talk about my past. I've been freed from my past. I don't need to go into all that. I don't want to glory in my shame. I'm not here to talk about all the bad things I did before I met the Lord. You just need to know I was the chief of sinners. <laughs> I was the worst of them. That's my testimony. Now let's move on. <laughs> that was kind of Paul's attitude. Let's move forward. I don't need to talk about it. I don't need to wallow in it. So many times our testimonies are about us. You know, look at what I did. Look how bad I was. And now I'm saved, you know, but it glorifies us. I love Paul's attitude. His attitude is, look, I was the chief of sinners. That's all you need to know. And Christ freed me from my past. He saved me and freed, and that's enough. I don't need to go into anything else like that. So when you think about what the passage says here about the Old Testament sacrificial system, and I realize most of us are not Jewish. We didn't grow up Jewish. We don't understand the Old Testament sacrificial system. So you have to go back and do a little study to kind of figure out what he's talking about. What's he talking about when he's talking about the ashes of a heifer, the blood of animals? Well, in the Old Testament, you go back and you can read Numbers 19 today if you're really bored this afternoon. You really want some good afternoon reading, okay? It talks all about what happens in the life of a person who becomes ceremonially unclean. How would you do that as a Jewish person? If you touched a dead body, you became ceremonially unclean. You go, why would anybody touch a dead body? Well, because if somebody passes away in your house, somebody's got to remove the body from the house, right? That was somebody's job. 
So if you were the person who was in charge of moving the body to wherever you were going to bury it, prepare it for burial, you touched the body, you became ceremonially unclean for seven days. How did you get clean? There was a process. Numbers 19 goes into a lot of detail about that. I'm not going to spend time on this morning. But basically, you burn a heifer. The high priest would burn a heifer, blood the entire animal, and then take the ashes of that heifer and mix it with some other things. And it would be available to people where they could go and use that to sprinkle it on themselves to become clean again. A sacrifice. Death had to occur for someone to become clean. We see that picture over and over again in the Old Testament. Now, here's what he's talking about. He goes on to talk about dead works in this passage. So stay with me a second because these two ideas correlate. He talks about dead works. Everything you did before you met Jesus Christ is considered dead works, even if it's something you think is good. I remember when I was nine or 10 years old in my dad's office building, there were several people who rented office space from him. And one of those was the Tyler office of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. And there was a lady that worked in there and I thought she was kind of cute and she was always nice to me. And she said, hey, you know, I was always up there doing stuff and my dad was working. I was always putting sugar cubes and Cokes and drinking them and doing stuff I wasn't supposed to do. And, you know, kind of wandering around looking for something to do. And so she said, hey, come in here. I want to ask you a question. So she called me in her little office and and I went in there and she said, you got a bunch of friends, don't you? And I said, I hope. She goes, yeah, you got a bunch of friends. She goes, look, why don't you guys think about putting on one of these Jerry Lewis uh, muscular dystrophy carnivals in your neighborhood and get other kids to come. You do games and we give you this whole kit. And she showed me this kit. And when you're nine, you go, that's a cool thing. You know, it's got stickers and stuff in it and all kinds of cool stuff. And she's like, you put this on and you raise money for MDA. And I had no idea what MDA was. I'd seen the telethon. I thought that was kind of cool, but I, I had really no idea. And, and so I thought, yeah, we can do that. So me and my friends got together. We've made like $27 for Jerry Lewis for MDA. Okay. We got our pictures in the newspaper. She called the newspaper. The newspaper came out and took our pictures. I still have it in a scrapbook somewhere. So you might look at that and go, that's a good thing that you did when you were nine years old. You know what that was? That was a dead word. Oh, yeah, it was a noble thing. It may have helped somebody. Did it have any effect on my sin nature? No. Did it have any effect on cleansing my conscience so I could have peace with God? Nope. And your good works don't either. The Bible calls them dead works. So go back to the idea of the dead body and touching the dead body and certain thing you had to go through in order to be cleansed from that. What he's saying is you weren't cleansed with stuff like that. You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. It's the how much more moment in the message this morning. He's saying how much more does the perfect spotless lamb of God's blood cleanse you from all dead works that you do, makes you actually right with God and cleanses you from a conscience that you have things you've done against God in the past. So this morning, the question is, do you have a cleansed, a cleansed conscience for your past? Has that been cleansed in your life? If you've asked Christ to come into your life, that's one of the blessings is that he's cleansed you of your past. If you're carrying all that stuff around with you this morning, I have great news for you. You can be cleansed of it before you leave this room this morning. You could be free of it, cleansed of it, never for it to come back again so that you could live your life in a different way. This is what Hebrews 10, says. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed in pure water. So this morning you could have your conscience cleansed before the Lord. When I worked at Bellevue Baptist Church a couple of summers up there when I was in college, there was a guy who was a youth worker. He was probably in his mid-30s or so. His name was Brian. And Brian uh, had a past. Like I said, most of us all have a past, right? And Brian's past was that he'd been a troublemaker. He was that kid. Some of you guys teach school. He was that kid you don't want in your class, okay? And he literally made it a, a, a fun thing every day to give his teachers a hard time and 
cause problems when they leave the room. He'd do all kinds of stuff. He was telling me all this stuff. But when he got saved, he had so much joy over the fact that his past was forgiven. It was completely cleansed. His conscience was finally cleansed before the Lord that he felt convicted of the Holy Spirit to go back as a 30-year-old man and find his high school teachers and apologize to every one of them and then go find his college professors that he had offended and done things to and, and ask them to forgive him too. And he used those opportunities to share the gospel with these people, to say, I am, I'm at peace for the first time in my life. I'm at peace with God. My past is gone and I have such joy in my life. There's no sin I don't want to repent of. If you show me a sin in my life, Lord, I'm going to repent of it. That was his testimony. So he was constantly sharing his faith with people because he realized how good it felt to have his conscience cleansed before the Lord and have that peace, that sense of peace in his relationship with God. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe that's how it was for you when you got saved. I can kind of relate to that. So the peace of God produces a cleansed conscience. But secondly, this morning, the peace of God produces a clean conscience for the present. So do you have a clean conscience this morning? Think of it this way. It's a transition, kind of more of a transformation that happens in our lives. When we become a believer and the old passes away, the Bible says, and all things become new, and we're not who we used to be anymore. We're becoming who God actually created us to be, who he's intended us to be from the very beginning. And that transition happens over time. And so we not only have a new past because our past has been forgiven, but we have a new present. We live in the present tense and we're different. We get to actually live before the Lord and be clean and know the joy that comes from that. I, there's a phrase that uh, Pastor Glenn uses with us often when we go on a retreat or sometimes even in our, month, our weekly or monthly staff meetings, he'll say, it's important before we do anything this morning, before we plan a single thing, before we talk about anything that's going on at church, that each of us are clean and close to the Lord. So are you? We're going to take a little time and pray. That's what he would say. He said, we're going to stop right here, and we're just going to give you a chance to make sure that you're clean before the Lord. Do you live your life that way? With a clean conscience. That is the peace of God in your present tense, when you can live your life with a clean conscience before the Lord. I love that. Um, this is what the book of Hebrews says, encourage each other daily while it's still called today, present tense, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Any one of us can be tricked by sin in our lives. I don't care how strong a Christian you are. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. We need to do what that scripture says, encourage each other day after day and help each other. None of us, none of us are above sin. None of us are above temptation. We can all be tempted to do things that don't please the Lord. We need people in our lives to help us with that. So think about what Paul said in terms of having a clean conscience. He said this, a person should consider us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of God's mysteries. Paul says, that's the way you can think of me. In this regard, it's expected of managers that each one of them be found faithful. It's of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you, he says, or by any human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself for I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. So can you say with Paul this morning, I'm not conscious of anything. I'm not conscious of anything that's between me and the Lord this morning. Could you say that? In fact, let's do something. This is kind of unusual. I'm going to ask everybody just to bow your heads. The service is not over yet, okay? But I'm going to ask you just to bow your head for just a minute and simply ask the Lord one question. Lord, am I clean before you this morning? Ask him that question. Just take a second. Is there anything in my life? Like David said in Psalm 139, search me, Lord, and see if there's any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. 
Take a second. Am I clean before you, Lord? Okay, now look at me just a second. If the Lord said something to you just then, maybe about something that's between you and him or something that's between you and another person, what are you going to do about that? We can live clean before the Lord. We can have peace with God. And how that happens is through repentance. It's when we actually turn our back on whatever it is that's going on in our life, whatever he just pointed out in your life, you turn your back on it, you walk away from it, he'll forgive you for it, and you move on. The, the, the rule kind of goes like this. If your sin is public, you repent publicly. If your sin's private, you repent privately. If it's just between you and God, then you repent that way. But if you've offended someone else, you need to go to them and ask them to forgive you as well, like my buddy Brian. They used to, we would have altar calls at churches and people would come down front and they would rededicate their lives or they might actually say, I need to, Brother Paul's coming this morning and he needs to repent. He's just coming to tell the church that he's repentant. Well, that covers a lot of stuff, Right? We don't do that anymore. So how would you publicly repent anymore? Well, you can go to the people that you've known you've offended, but if there's a bunch of people and you don't even know who all it is, maybe there's another way to think about that. I had a young man in my youth ministry in my, in my last church in Weatherford, and we had a drama team. We would go over to the West End in Dallas. You guys have probably been over there on a Friday or Saturday night. It's a lot of fun stuff to do. And this was back in the 90s. There was a lot of, it's kind of a party atmosphere, a lot of stuff going on over there. And we'd take these kids over and do drama on the, just the sidewalk. We'd set up a spot and play music, set up a sound system, and the kids would do drama. And then we'd just try to have conversations with people and share the gospel. And we did that pretty often. We did it in Weatherford as well, but it was kind of fun to go over to Dallas. But even in Dallas, an hour away from where we lived, we'd still see people from Weatherford over there. And it became, uh, I, I became aware of the fact that one of the young men in my drama group had been sort of living a double life and uh, been partying on the weekends and getting drunk and doing things like that. And so I just called him into my office and I said, hey, Come by after Bible study and I need to talk to you. And so I said, listen, here's what I've heard. I don't know if this is true. So you tell me. But here's what I'm hearing about you, that you're involved in all these things. You're getting drunk. You're doing things like that. Is that true? And he kind of hung his head and said, yes, it is. I said, well, look, you're obviously partying in front of other people. You're doing things you shouldn't be doing in front of other people. And you probably don't even know who all that is. I don't know if you know who all's at the parties. If you're drunk, you probably don't even remember who all's at the parties that you're there. But they've seen you. And they may see you try to do drama on the sidewalk in front of the high school in Weatherford, or they may see you at the West End doing drama, and they may go, wait a minute, this doesn't match up. I know that guy. He parties his brains out on the weekend, and then he's up here trying to tell us about Jesus, and those two things don't go together. I said, so here's the deal. You need to repent publicly because you have sinned publicly. You've offended a lot of people. I don't even know who all that is. And so, you know, I said, you could go before our church any Sunday and just walk the aisle. You don't have to say what your sin is. That's nobody's business. But you could say, I haven't been living in a way that honors the Lord, and I'm, I want to change that this morning. I'm going to ask the church to forgive me. And I guarantee you the word of that would get out. And if you're repentant, you won't still go to those parties anymore, and the people will understand that there's been a change in your life. So then when they see you on the sidewalk doing drama, they may begin to believe you, actually, and think you have credibility. He goes, I'm going to call my dad. I'm not going to do that. I mean, my dad's going to be upset with you for even asking me to do this. And I said, well, here's the deal. You're not in the drama team anymore until you make this right. Oh, my dad's going to be really mad at you. And his dad was really mad at me about it. <laughs> he thought that he ought to be able to stay on the drama team. I said, look, it's totally within his control what happens here. But if you sin publicly, you repent publicly. You can't have a clean conscience before the Lord if you have known sin that you're unwilling to deal with in your life. And he got out of the drama team. Later on, he finally got it right. He kind of figured it out. I want you to listen to this, this quote. Peace doesn't come from being in the right situation 
It comes from being right with God in any situation you're in. It's not about the circumstances that you're involved in. When you're right with God, you have peace in the middle of whatever's going on, a peace that, like Paul said, kind of passes, surpasses understanding. But if you sin publicly, you need to handle it publicly. If your sin's private, you need to handle it privately. So whatever the Lord laid on your heart a second ago, deal with it today. Don't be content to just let it go on and on and on. He talks about here serving the living God. And I love that because when you have a clean conscience before the Lord, there's nothing more fun than just serving the Lord, whatever he asks you to do, whether it's something in your comfort zone or out of your comfort zone. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you first got saved and you you were thrilled to serve the Lord, whatever you could do, because it was for him. It was something that was for him. You were doing it directly for him. It might've been sweeping a floor. It might've been doing something more glorious than that. I don't know. But sometimes our attitude about serving is not healthy. We, we've lost the joy of it. If somebody asks you to volunteer in preschool or youth ministry and you go, oh man, oh, I got preschool again. Oh, you know, where's the joy? Where's the joy of just saying, hey, I can't wait to serve the Lord. He has cleansed me of my past. I want to serve. I just want to serve him because I'm clean before him and I'll do whatever he asks me to do. That's the way to live your life for the Lord with that sense of just joy. I remember uh, several years ago, you guys may remember John Cross. John used to come here. He was on staff here before and he went out and become a pastor. And he came one summer, I know, and he did a little thing with our staff. And he asked us this question. We were out at, at uh, Lake, Lakeview at this camp out there and he had us all together. And he said, I want you to think about when you first got into ministry, for those of us who are in full-time ministry, he said, I want you to think about the attitude that you had about it when you first got into ministry. And he said, what was it? And we just kind of went around and talked about it. And for me, it was like, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to be in ministry and they're actually gonna pay me to do it. I can't believe that, you know? I just would do it for nothing. I love serving the Lord. And he said, now, if that was your attitude at the beginning, are you still there today? Have you lost some of that? Has the joy of serving the living God kind of gone away for you? Have you just has it become a drudgery in your life? Don't lose that because serving in the present tense is about having a clean conscience before the Lord, doing what he wants you to do because he wants you to do it. Not with a sense of guilt, but with a sense of I get to do this. I get to do what the Lord wants me to do in my life. So not only does the peace of God produce a cleansed conscience for the past and a clean conscience for the present, but produces a clear conscience for the future. And you say, well, wait a minute, a clear conscience is really about the past, isn't it? Well, think about it this way. This is what Paul said. Paul said, for this is our confidence. The testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you with God-given sincerity and purity, not fleshly wisdom, but by God's grace. Paul's saying, I don't know when the end of my life is going to come, but I don't think Paul expected to live on and on and on. He knew he was under persecution. He'd been promised that when he came to Christ, that he was going to suffer for the Lord. So he knew his life was going to end at some point. But he said, I still look forward because I know whatever the end comes when I get there, that I'll be able to say I did everything for the Lord with a clear conscience. He said this when he stood before Felix in Acts 24, I always do my best to have a clear conscience towards God and men. Always do my best to have a clear conscience. Can you say that this morning? Like, if we just take today, July 21st, 2019, forget everything that's happened up until the time you walked in this room a few minutes ago, and we take today and we go to whatever the last day of your life is on earth. And I don't know when that is, and you don't either. And it might be 20 years, it might be 10 years, for some of you it may be longer or less, whichever. But from this day forward to that day, if you lived your life in a way that honored the Lord, you'd be able to say, I have a clear conscience about the way. And, and so therefore, I look forward to the future. 
Whatever's coming, I look forward to it. Yes, you don't go to heaven because you have a clear conscience. You go to heaven because Jesus Christ is your savior. But some of us are kind of dreading the end because we're not living with a clear conscience right now. Paul went on to say this in first, second Timothy verse um, three of chapter one. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you, remember, remember you in my prayers night and day. So think about the time between now and the time that, that your life is gonna end. Can you say you're gonna do that with a clear conscience? Some of us live our lives with contradiction, unrepentant. That thing that God just pointed out in your life a second ago, some of you are not gonna do anything about that. You're just gonna be like, eh, it's just another thing. It's just another contradiction in my life. I say I believe this, but I don't really live that. And when you live with contradiction, it just sort of numbs your conscience to the Lord. It, it creates laziness. It creates passivity in your life toward the Lord, distance in your relationship with God. And over time, you just get used to that. What God wants to do, it doesn't mean that you're going to say, well, from here till the end of my life, I got to be perfect to have a clear conscience. No, what you have to do is be repentant. When God shows you a sin in your life, like he just did in some of your lives, you do something about it. You repent of it, which means you abandon it, you forsake it, you turn your back on it. And then what happens is the next time he shows you something in your life that's not right, you do the same thing again. And you keep doing that over and over and over and over again. And what he does is he sanctifies you. He changes you over time because you eventually change the things that he changes the things in your life by causing you to repent of them, making you aware of them and causing you to repent of them. Is that the way you live your life? That's what he wants for you, that you could be able to say from here forward, I'm going to be repentant. When he shows me a sin in my life, I'm going to repent of it. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm not going to let it go on and on. It could be a sin of omission, something he wanted me to do that I just didn't want to do because I'm whatever, scared, lazy, tired, busy, whatever. Or it could be a sin of commission where it's something that I shouldn't have done. I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I did it anyway. Well, those, both those things are probably going to be true in your life in the future, but what are you going to do about them? Are you just going to let them sit there and create distance in your relationship with God? Are you going to be comfortable with the contradiction or are you going to say no more? I'm not going to live my life with an unclear conscience before the Lord. I want to be clear in my conscience before the Lord. I want to serve him in that way so that in the future, I have nothing but joy to look forward to. I know that I'm going to be with him forever and I can't wait to see his face. But if you're living with contradictions, some of you are going, I can wait. I'm not sure I want to see his face because I'm not really living the way he wants me to live right now then you don't have peace. You don't have the peace that Jesus died to give you. You're not living in that peace in the present tense and you can't have that peace about the future. But he wants you to have that peace. I said that at the very beginning of the message. God wants you to know his peace, to live in peace with him. And so this morning, I am gonna ask you to bow your heads again. And this is the end of the service, okay? But I wanna ask you to do something, okay? I wanna ask you to think about whatever that thing is the Lord laid on your heart a minute ago when I asked you if you were clean before him. I'm gonna ask you to deal with that this morning, right where you're sitting. You say, well, that's between me and somebody else. I can't deal with it here. Well, you can deal with God about it. You can say to the Lord, Lord, make this happen. I wanna set this time up to meet with this person this week. I need, to, I need to clear the air with them. I need to get, come clean. I need to repent to them. I need to ask them to forgive me. Maybe they're not with you. Maybe they're at home this morning. I need to go home and deal with that. I need to make a beeline to their house this afternoon and ask them to forgive me. We don't have revival in our church because we don't want it. That's how revival happens, when people keep short accounts with God, when they live their lives with a clean conscience before him in the present tense. And if you do that, if you repent when he shows you the sin in your life, 
then, man, things are going to start to happen here that we can only explain by saying God did them. So this morning, with nobody looking around, and I mean that, just me, if you're here this morning, you say, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to do business. I'm ready to get serious. I'm ready to, to clear my conscience before the Lord. I'm going to live my life that way. Would you just raise your hand? I just want you to confess that this morning. Thank you. All over this room. Anybody else? Just be honest. I'm not going to call you to come down front this morning. It's not about embarrassing you. I want you to be honest before the Lord this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to keep short accounts with God. I'm going to stay pure before the Lord because I can. God, I pray for these folks this morning who raised their hand. I pray, God, first that you'll give them courage to follow through. This won't just be an emotional thing that they did in church today, but it'll really be something they carry out of this room to make right. God, I pray that you'd show each of them the power that can happen in their life through your spirit as they just live clean before you. The power to affect and change other people's lives through their testimony, through their witness. And God, thank you that you care enough about us that you want each of us to know peace, to have peace with you. So I pray you'll give them courage to follow through on that and, and teach them to walk in a new way. They have a clear conscience before you this morning. And I pray these things in Christ's name.